0: I am so glad that you are here, because today, this week, we are starting a spiritual growth series called "The Miracle of Mercy," and I don't want you to miss a single week. And uh, if you haven't already done so, I want you to, after the service, go out these double doors, ninety feet to the Family Life Center, and see Vicky. Pick up your study guide. You're going to need one of these. If you haven't joined a growth group yet, open your bulletin, uh, and you'll see there's about six or so different growth groups that are meeting throughout the week. I think there's three of them meeting today, two after the service, BYOL, bring your own lunch, uh, and then one meeting tonight at five. Got others meeting throughout the week, and uh, choose the one that you want to be a part of, get your study guide, and have at it. You're going to enjoy this series. I I think one of the reasons why we need to talk about mercy is because if you read your Bible, it is the number one characteristic that God uses to designate or to divine Himself. It's the number one trait or quality about God. Most people don't really understand how great God's mercy is. Most people get their idea about God from Hollywood. And what does Hollywood portray God as? Either some ineffective old man with a long beard and a walking stick, or an angry, vindictive God that's always out to get you when you mess up. But that is not our God. That is not the biblical portrait of what our God is like. When you really understand God's mercy, your anxiety will decrease and your peace of mind will increase. When you understand who God really is and what He is really all about. He's not out to get you, folks. He's out to love you and extend His mercy to you. Well, let's get right to it. Let's define mercy. Look up on the screen here. What is mercy? It is undeserved forgiveness and it's unearned kindness. When somebody forgives you and you don't deserve it, that's called mercy. When somebody does something nice for you, shows a kindness to you that you didn't earn, that's called Mercy. And that's what God does for us. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't pay for it. You receive it. And you know what? You're going to need mercy every single day of your life. Just like you need air to breathe, water to drink, and food to eat. You're going to need mercy. Amen? I know I do. And if you want to be like God, You're going to have to extend mercy. Because this is what God is like. And He wants us to be like Him. When do I need mercy? We're going to look at three scriptures today. Three occasions that you're going to need mercy. Number one, let's get to it. You're going to need mercy when you're ashamed. When you're ashamed. I need God's mercy when I mess up. And who hasn't messed up? Nobody bats a thousand James puts it like this in James chapter 3 and in verse 2. James will say, we all, that includes you, that includes me, that includes everyone. We all stumble in how many ways? Many ways. Anyone want to give a testimony this morning? You know, Have you, have you ever stumbled with your words? Have you ever said something that you wish you could take back? But it's too late once it's out there. Um, When I was a teenager, I'd saved up $300. And somebody stole it from my bedroom. They actually set me up to steal it. And $300, you know how old I am. I'm this old guy, right? That was a lot of money back then. And when I came out of the room, I was so mad, I said, Let's just leave it at that. But my mom was standing right there, and the shock and the look in her eyes and on her face. And then I just went off. I didn't care. I was so mad. I was so angry. And I love my mom. You know what she did? She knew I didn't need a lecture, she didn't whip out a bar of soap. (laughs) She gave me a hug. She extended mercy when I needed it. Our moms great? We've all stumbled with our words. We've all said things we regret. We all wish we could take it back. Have you ever done something? And after you did it, go, oh, why did I do that? What was I thinking? But it's too late. It's out there. We've done it. We've all done it. Nobody bats a thousand. And, and here's what's so neat. How does God respond to us when we mess up? He responds to us in mercy. Isn't that great? I want us to look at John chapter 8, 1 through 11 this morning. We're going to look at a humiliated woman. Um, I think this story is better told than read, but it's on the screen. It's in John 8, 1 through 11. And by the way, you may not be aware of this, that. John 8, 1-11 almost didn't make it into our Bibles. Do you know why? The people that put stuff in the Bible that says, this is canon, this is not canon, this is good, this is not good. They read this and said, this is the Word of God, but do we really want to put it in the Bible for the folks to read? Because if they read this and they realize how good and how kind and how merciful our God is, it might promote ill conduct. And they wanted to take it out. I'm glad they didn't. I believe with a deep and an abiding conviction, it belongs in the Word of God because it's so like our God. There's a young prophet here who just the day before, here's the background of this text, was at the temple and almost got himself killed for preaching the kingdom of heaven. But he's back the next day and he's preaching and he's teaching. And into the assembly, imagine you're there at the temple, and you're all listening to this young rabbi named Jesus. And now there's a disruption. You hear, you know when something's going on, and, and into the assembly walks a group of deeply religious men. They were called Pharisees. And they're either leading or dragging a woman with her, with him. Now I know, for I've been embarrassed before, and undoubtedly you have too, that she must have been terribly embarrassed. Terribly humiliated. I imagine hot burning tears running down her cheeks. And she's cast right there in the middle, in front of Jesus. And they began questioning the young prophet. And the Greek and the English both say they kept on asking. This woman was taken in the very act of adultery. So, what do you think should be done? The law says stoner. What do you say, Jesus. They are trying to set Jesus up. They're trying to find fault with him. They're trying to set him up in such a way that they can use whatever he says against him. These were the very leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel, the elders, the ones that should have been concerned for her soul. They prostituted her in order to get at my Lord and yours. How wicked is that? By the way, they don't bring the man in, do they? Just the woman. Well, what should we do, Jesus? And the Bible says Jesus kind of just stoops to the ground. And He won't look up. And He just kind of begins doodling in the sand. This tells you it's in the outer court. And one version says, you know, doodling in the Greek. The others, it, it implies he might be writing some words. There, there's some conjecture there if you read any of the commentaries. He's writing things like hypocrites, judgmentalism, arrogance, pride. Just the list could go on and on. We don't know. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus were you doodling or were you writing those words? But if the text doesn't tell us, it really doesn't tell us. We just know he's not looking up. But they kept on badgering him. She was taken in the very act. What do you say we ought to do about it? Finally, Jesus looks up. And he just says two words. He says, Stoner. 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 Oh, by the way, You know, the book also says that the witnesses have to cast the first stone. They don't want that, did they? They don't want to be the bad guys. They want Jesus to be the bad guy. And even Jesus is merciful to them and lets them off the hook by saying, Let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. They got it because they all left from the oldest to the youngest and now finally the the room's empty and it's just Jesus and the woman, right? And he says, "Woman, where are your accusers?" Do you have any accusers? Where are they? And it's like she's saying, "I have none, Lord, but if you you know what like when you get an email and you type something If you don't write LOL or something, you may not get the humor or you may not get the nuance that's in there. The Bible's kind of that way. It's almost the way I look at it is where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. That is, of course, unless to say you condemn me, right? Because who was the only one there that day that had the right to cast the first stone? Jesus. He was the only one without sin. And Jesus, oh no, girl. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And of course it's the Word of God. Now notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't whip out his best sermon with a ten-point outline on the evils of adultery. He doesn't do that. He just says, listen, you are... You are better than this. This is not you. This is not who I made you to be. You're better than this. And I don't know about you, but I like to believe she never did it again. How about you? Ooh, isn't that good? I want you to write this down. Look at the screen. God's mercy forgives and frees me from my past. God's mercy forgives and frees me from my past. Isaiah 61.1 says, I was sent to announce freedom to all held captive and forgiveness, to all who have been imprisoned. What are you imprisoned by? Where do you need freedom this morning? God offers it. Jesus said in John 12:47, "I have come to save the world, not to judge it." And then in James 2:13, he says, "Mercy, there's that word again. It triumphs over judgment." That just simply means one day when I die and I stand before the Lord because I know him, I'm saved by his grace and mercy. I will not receive what I deserve. And that means you won't either. And that means we get off just like this woman got off that day. Forgiven and freed from her past. And a fresh, fresh start. Anyone need a fresh start today? Jesus offers it. He offered it to that woman, and He offers it to us. When do I need mercy? Number one, when I'm ashamed. But I need it, number two, when I'm angry. And let me tell you when I'm angry. I need God's mercy when I don't have what I need. Because when I don't have what I need, it makes me angry. Not our greed, but just there's some basic needs that we have. And when they're not being fulfilled, ooh, it can cause anger to rise up and frustration to rise up. We all have needs. And you know what? God did that intentionally. I know it's a little frustrating to hear what I'm about to say. But God gave you some weaknesses and God gave you some disabilities, whether it be mentally or physically, so that we would learn to depend on one another and to depend on Him. Did you know that? We all have disabilities. Have you noticed that your body and your mind aren't perfect? and we need each other's help from time to time, this is because God wants us dependent upon Him. Dependence is not a bad word. Dependence is just another word for what? Trust. Right? Trust. When I am dependent upon God to get me through this life, which is very difficult and very hard, it it means that I'm trusting Him. I don't like every day of my existence. I had four wonderful days this past seven. Four. At the end of each day, I said, God, this was a really good day. And, and the other three weren't half bad. But I had four really good days. I got to spend nearly the whole day yesterday with my grandson. Ooh, it was. I wasn't answering phone calls. I was. I went to the park. We walked the dog, and I walked my grandson next to me. I let him run off all that energy. We had a blast. He ate grapes and goldfish. Well, you know the cookie crumble kind. of <laughs> <laughs> Took a nap. Watched Mickey. Oh. When I went to bed last night, I just said, Thank you, God. Today was one of those great, great days. Thank you. But not every day is like that. You know, some days I actually have to go to elders' meetings. No, they can be good too. But God wants us to trust Him. I want to look at a disappointed man in John chapter 5, 2 to 9. Let's hurry. In Jerusalem, near the sheep gate. What's the sheep gate? It's where the sheep came in. Why did the sheep come in there? They came in there because it was close to the temple. What did they do at the temple? They offered sheep as a sacrifice. That makes sense, right? And there was a pool there called Bethsaida, which was surrounded by five covered porches. Nice pool. They liked their water. A large crowd of all sorts of disabled people. Anyone feel like a disabled person this morning? We all are. I just got through saying that. This guy's disabled, but we're disabled. We need each other and we need God. He would lie by the pool waiting for a miracle, and there was a legend. Did I bold legend on this? Yes, I did. Why did I bold legend? I don't want you to think that this really happened. What he He says legend because what he's saying here is It's not true, okay? Now, this guy believed it was true, and lots of other people believe certain legends are true, but this legend was not true. But there was a legend that every once in a while, an angel would stir up the water, and whoever was the first to get into the water, while it was still moving, would get what they needed. See, I get angry when I don't get what I need. but I get happy when I get what I need. They would get what they needed, and be made whole. One poor man had been waiting by the pool. Say it with me. Thirty say it again. Thirty eight years. Whew. No wonder he's angry. No wonder he's disappointed. No wonder he's he's mad. You wait for something for 38 years and not get it. You can get angry and disappointed and frustrated and mad. And so, I just might want to ask this audience this morning. You don't have to answer out loud. But just think in your mind. What have you been waiting many, 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 many years for that you haven't received from God yet? What is your secret disappointment? Some of you are saying, I've been waiting 38 years to get married, and it just hasn't happened yet. God, when am I going to get married? Someone's tapping someone over here. Or, Lord, I've been married 38 years, and this marriage isn't going so well. (laughs) I mean, there's the other end of it. Or, Lord, we've been married, and we're happy, and we want a child, but... 10 years have gone by, and now 15, and now 20, and when are we going to have children? Or my career, oh Lord, I went to college for this, and I studied, and I did well, and I started off doing well in this career, but then that industry just sort of folded up with technology, and that's not around anymore, and now I'm just floundering. When am I going to get? My dream job. I mean, you could just go on with, what are you secretly disappointed about? That you've been waiting a long time. Jesus responds to your disappointment with mercy. Watch this. Verse 6, When Jesus saw this man and heard that he'd been lying there for such a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Remember that question. What's the question? Do you want to get well? Now this sounds like an obvious question. Like, duh, 38 years, hanging out here, trying to get in the pool. But listen, some people, some sick people, don't want to get well. Bruce, you're crazy. No, 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 listen to me here. Because health means a change of life. Health means they're going to have to do some changes. Health means they're going to now have to have some responsibilities. Health means they're going to have to now go out in society and get a job, and that's really, really scary. So I'd rather sit at home, on the couch, be a couch potato, and not have to deal with that. Do you really want to get well? That's the question Jesus is asking. And I've known people like this. I knew a guy. Every time I'd go to his house, he'd be sitting on his couch, unemployed, watching Jerry Springer. I go, How can that always be on? Well, I tape it. Why do you watch that junk? And you know what his answer to me was? Well, at least there's someone on TV that's more miserable than me. What? And and this guy, he would just hang around, blaming others. That was his life. And that seems to be this guy's life too, if you think about it. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? He asked a yes or no question. Did he not? Now watch the response. Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. That was not the question. The question was, do you want to get well? And then, see, he's blaming others. And then, when I try to get in there, somebody else always gets ahead of me. Somebody else. He blames others for his problem. Who who are you blaming for your problems? Who are you blaming for your unhappiness. Not only did he blame others, he resented their success. You ever meet people like that? They blame others. Oh, well, no wonder they get with Then they blame them, they get hacked off at them because they're successful and they're not. I lose patience with people like that. You know the guy that watches Springer all the time? I don't go to his house anymore. But aren't you glad I'm not God? Aren't you glad that God's God and not me? Because I'm not always that merciful. I want to be like God, but I get frustrated. Here's the deal in spite of this guy not answering his question, in spite of this guy blaming others, in spite of this guy resenting others who are successful. know what Jesus is going to do he's going to have mercy on this guy I am so glad God is God I am so glad Jesus is merciful with people like this people like me oh verse 8 then Jesus simply said all right stand up pick up your mat Start walking. And when the man trusted Jesus, there's the key right there. I don't know what it was about Jesus. Maybe it was the authority in his voice. Maybe it was the sound of mercy in his voice. Maybe it was the sound of love and grace in his voice. Maybe it was a combination of it all. But the guy got it. Wow, I mean, what's it going to hurt? And so he stands up and he starts walking. And and, and immediately, the guy's made whole. He's able to. To walk again. Not one of these, oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, ah, let me work out the charlie. No, he's instantly healed. Oh, I love the miracles in the Bible. So unlike today. Real miracles, instant. Got it. Just like that. I want you to write this down. Got your outline out? God's mercy makes the impossible possible. What's your impossible problem? What have you been waiting for? A husband, a wife, a child, a job, a healing. Some of you have been waiting for a healing. And some of you haven't gotten healed yet. And you're thinking, well, if it hasn't happened by now, it probably isn't going to happen. Don't you say that. Luke 18.27 says, What is impossible with men is what? Possible with God. That's the God I serve. 2 Peter 1.3 As you get to know Jesus better, He will give you, through His great power, everything you need for living a truly good life. It's not going to meet your greeds, but it'll meet your needs, folks. So, when do I need mercy? I need it when I'm ashamed and when I mess up. I need mercy when I'm angry and I have unmet needs. And I need God's mercy, number three. When I'm afraid. When I'm afraid. I need God's mercy when I'm facing death. And we're about to look at a man who's who's that close to death. And only a fool would go all through his life unprepared for the inevitable. The last time I checked, the mortality rate is still 100%. Now, I'm not afraid of dying. I think one of the reasons for that is I know where I'm going when I die. So... I guess that's that. But if you don't know, if you're not saved, you have every reason this morning to fear. And I want you to fear. We're about to meet one guy that did and one guy that didn't here in this next text. Let's take a look at this dying man. It's found in Luke 23, 39-43. A little bit of background. Um... If you did not know, when Jesus died on that place so ugly, they called it the skull, Golgotha. He died between two thieves. There were three crosses on that hill that day. Lifelong criminals. You know, we even have a three strikes law here, right? In California. Three strikes and you're out. Well, the government was fed up with these guys. And to show them to be an example, they're going to crucify them. One on the left of Jesus, one on the right of Jesus. Three crosses. One guy dies in his sin. Another guy dies to his sin. And Jesus Christ dies for our sins. Let's look at the text. One of the criminals being executed on a cross beside Jesus ridiculed him. Can you imagine? You're about to face eternity. You know you're going to be dead soon. In the last few breaths of your life, what are you doing? You're railing on Jesus. You're ridiculing Jesus. If you're supposed to be the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? And by the way, I want you to save us too, is what he was saying, right? But Jesus didn't come to save Himself. He came to die and give His life a ransom for all of us. So that's not going to happen. The second criminal rebuked the first criminal and said, Man, don't you even fear God when you're dying? That's a good question. You know, some people don't. And you know one of the reasons why some people don't fear God when they're dying is? They don't believe in a God. They don't believe there's an afterlife. They don't believe that there's anything after the grave. Isn't that sad? Just sort of dead all over just like Rover. But you know what I'm betting on? Let me tell you what I'm betting on. I'm betting on, I'm betting my life that Jesus Christ was telling the truth that there is more to this life than this life. If I were to drop dead right now, my body may hit the ground, but my never-dying, ever-living, eternal soul will continue to exist somewhere. Ooh, that's what I'm betting on. What are you betting on? If you're here today and you're one of these guys, I don't fear God, I don't think there's anything after after death. what What are you basing that on? See, I'm basing mine on a study of the historicity of this book, and I found it to be reliable, a miraculous book. I'm basing it on the historicity of a man named Jesus Christ. He lived, he had followers, he did miracles, he died on a cross, having done nothing wrong, didn't make a defense for himself, willingly went. They put him in a tomb and put guards and a seal on it to keep him in and on the third day he was out. Had that happen? There's historical Christian evidences outside of the Bible, extra biblical sources that talk all about this. I've studied apologetics and I know enough to know that this book is real. What are you basing your. I don't think it's going to happen. What are you basing that on? Supposition? That's a pretty big supposition to be betting your eternal life on. That's a pretty big gamble to be wrong on. Wouldn't you agree? Most of the people I know that really wanted to disprove the Bible, actually everyone I've ever read about ended up becoming a believer. Everyone. You check that book out, you'll become a believer. Guaranteed. At least know what you're... What you're believing and why. Notice what he said. He rebukes the man. Don't you even fear God when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds. Ooh, what's that sound a whole lot like to you? Doesn't that sound like confession? What does 1 John 1.9 say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a good verse? This guy's confessing. What's he confessing? He's confessing his evil deeds. But this man, pointing, or not pointing to Jesus, looking at Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Let me ask you something. Do you know anybody like that? I, I know some good people. I really do. That I could point to and say, that is a very good man. That is a very good woman. But I can't point to anybody that I know in this world that I can say that is a perfect man and a perfect woman. They have never done anything wrong. That's just been said by a lifetime criminal concerning who? Jesus. I don't know how he knew about Jesus. Maybe he was one of those secret followers and kind of, at the last moment, kind of figures it all out. I just know... He doesn't know he's confessing. And so a dying man says to a dying man, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those two words in the Greek, remember me, they imply I've messed up. I can't blame anyone but myself. I've wasted my life but at the same time, Jesus, I can't save myself, remember me. It's all implied in those two words. And Jesus replied, watch this next verse, I guarantee you that today you will be with me where? In paradise. I love that verse, don't you? That's last-minute mercy, is it not? I mean, that guy's that close to going out, checking out of this world, and he gets it. There's only one thing that's going to keep you today out of heaven, and you know what it is? It is your pride. It is your unwillingness to accept God's mercy. So when do I need God's mercy? When I'm ashamed, when I'm angry, and when I'm afraid. Well, what happens if I do? What happens if I accept it? Write this down. God's mercy will save me. For how long, Bruce? For eternity. God's mercy will save me for eternity. John 11.25 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live again. Acts 2.21 I love this one. Anyone. You mean even a thief on a cross? Yeah, anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and shall be saved. It happened in a little mining town, deep in the Ozarks, many, many, many years ago. Here boys grew up at age 12, and by the time they were 15, they were hardened. Poverty was plentiful and the one room schoolhouse, you remember those? Anyone old enough to remember a one room schoolhouse? It lay deep in the foothills of the Ozarks. Students there were undertaught, overgrown, and unmanageable. They had run off every schoolmaster they had. And the position remained open most of the time. One day, a frail man applied for the job. And they thought, what a joke. He won't last long. But the committee hired him. They agreed on a salary of $60 a month. I'll tell you how long ago this was, right? How many school teachers make $60 a month? Well, when he arrived, the boys were ready and waiting. They were going to chew him up and spit him out quick. At least that's what they thought. However, the way he began was so different from every other schoolmaster. It caught them by surprise. He said, I want you to set the rules for our school. Not only that, I want you to set the penalties if somebody breaks the rules. And I will carry them out. Well, they thought, well, that's kind of different. All right, let's give it a go. And these boys were tough. They were brutal. They, they laid down some rules with some backbreaking penalties, which required between one and ten lashes. Now, watch this with a bullwhip. <laughs> yeah, that never happened today, right? <laughs> okay, the schoolmaster said. And the rules were clearly posted, and the penalties next to them. Were clearly posted so everybody knew the law and everybody knew the penalty for breaking the law and so for the first time this little school began to operate with a system of order and weeks and weeks and weeks went by and then it happened big John's lunch was missing somebody stole it he exclaimed He demanded to see if this great law really was going to work. A brief investigation took place, and it proved that a little nine-year-old boy had taken it. Frightened, he whimpered his only defense. I ain't had nothing to eat for three days, and I was so hungry, I just took it. The schoolroom was silent as a tomb. Everybody knew that the tin lashes on the back would be too much for this little boy who was nothing more than skin and bones. But the law had to be satisfied. The bullwhip was brought out of the closet. The little boy removed his tattered coat. The schoolmaster bit his lip, fought back tears, drew back the bullwhip. Wait a minute! Big John exclaimed. I'll take that whipping for the kid. And he stripped off his jacket. And he took the beating. And that little schoolhouse was never the same. Big John proved with every law there was grace and mercy. You know that little kid's story that stole the lunch? That's our story. Aren't you glad the Bible says, by His stripes we are healed? Let's pray. Have you messed up? Have you been ashamed? Have you been angry? Have you been afraid? Well, guess what? You qualify for God's mercy. Listen to what Jesus promised to a man who had a lifetime of mess-ups. He said to that man, Today you'll be with me in paradise. You too can go straight to heaven when you die if you humble yourself and accept the mercy of God. It's that simple. You can be assured of paradise if you just trust Him. Be dependent upon him, even with your weaknesses. Repent of your sins. Put him on in baptism. Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, if there be one here today that that needs to come to you, let today be their day. In Jesus' name, amen.